Christ Community Church is called by the God of all grace. For the transforming of life in Middle Tennessee. Spiritually, socially, and culturally. Through the power of the gospel. From Franklin to the nations of the world. All for the glory of God. For more information, visit ChristCommunity.org. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ Community Church and our neighbors and friends, perhaps joining us from many different countries and other states. I am obviously not David Cassidy, lead pastor of Christ Community Church. I'm much shorter and older, which makes me pastor emeritus. But I am so privileged to be here today in this service, in this week, in this place, we have already heard read some remarkable scripture. That first verse from Psalm 119.71, I want to read it again and briefly talk about what the conversation will be today as we are gathering in a time of crisis, of global crisis, that we all are experiencing in our own way. Hear the psalmist once again, Psalm 119.71. It was good... Emphasis on good. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. Now, what kind of man, what kind of woman would think about affliction as a good gift? That's exactly what's going on in this psalm. Psalm 119, a very long psalm, 176 verses because there are 22 Hebrew letters, and he devotes eight verses to each of those letters in the Hebrew alphabet, beginning a section with the letter of the Hebrew alphabet for each of those verses. And what's unique in this section of this particular psalm is that five times the Hebrew word good is used at the beginning of the verse. And so we want to ponder this morning, how can we possibly think about affliction as something that's good. Well, the psalmist, of course, gives us a key immediately when he says to God and about our God, it's good that I would learn your decrees. Now, what are the decrees of God? Because our understanding of the goodness of God and the importance of affliction is seen in terms of what is a decree. Uh, the word decree is used in many different ways in the Old Testament. It's a word even in the Psalm 119, where you find words like statutes, you find precepts, you find law, you find the word word. But decree is a powerful word that highlights the fact that God never just tries to do something. He actually decrees things and they happen. The decree of God is a prescription. It's, it's something that God does to reveal who he is that we might live more fully in his story to his glory with the joy he alone can give us. So to make a connection in terms of thinking about being in this one school as every other school is out, our being in the school of affliction together, learning our Heavenly Father's decrees, we're going to look at a great example. The scripture also has been read from 2 Corinthians, and I find in the Apostle Paul and in 2 Corinthians in particular, a man that is truly taken to heart 
The fact that our God is a God who decrees, who determines things, who plans things, who is never vexed, never confused, that, that what he decrees, even when it is affliction, it is something that has the great promise for those who learn it of bringing about greater good. So let's walk through this Second Corinthians text, chapter 1, verse 3. I hope you have a Bible open or maybe you have printed out the liturgy. It would be good for you to see these words as we follow along. And very briefly, I'm going to talk about five ways the Apostle Paul shows us what does it mean to both learn the Lord's decrees and to do so in the school of affliction and have our hearts finally and truly land in a good place. Well, the first thing I want to mention is that in terms of this section, here's some goodness for you. Here's something that is so good that can be born out of affliction. Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. So the first thing we want to say is one of the great things we can learn in the school of affliction, and we have to apply ourselves, we have to linger there, but we can learn that God is a Father of mercies and a God of all comfort. You see, we often sing great truth. We in Christ Community Church proclaim creed, and hallelujah, we do that. But you see, there's a big difference between simply knowing the lyric of the gospel and knowing its music. And here we find Paul in his own story saying, God can be known, delights to be known. Through the afflictions that are a part of life in the fallen world, afflictions that come in many different ways. In this context, Paul says, of affliction, those that would be taught by affliction, they will come to know the Father as one not just of a merciful Father, but the Greek actually says, multiplied mercies, a father of mercies and a God of all, all comfort, comforting us in all affliction. Now, we have a big affliction together right now in our culture, do we not? It's called coronavirus, and it's already set in place a domino effect of a lot of different kinds of afflictions that we are experiencing. But lest we whine more than we worship, I want to take just a moment further in Paul's letter when he catalogs some of the things that he was referring to in his own life as afflictions from which he learned more about God as a father who loves, who comforts, who meets us, who frees us, who changes us, a God that leads us deeper into the knowledge of himself. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, picking up it really at verse 23. And there's a story here I'll briefly tell you as a background. Paul writes, are they servants of Christ? He's referring now to false apostles who are actually charging him with being less than an apostle because he was suffering. There was a foolish notion that if you really loved God, if you were really under the favor of God, you would never be afflicted. You would have, you'd be doing cartwheels for Christ all day long. And while Paul is suffering, false apostles are, are slandering him. But, but notice how he takes on their false charge. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. 
I spent a night and a day in an open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not feel, I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast in the things that show my weakness. Now, Paul is either out of his mind or onto something that is echoed, stated so clearly in Psalm 119 that, that there's something about really coming to know your circumstances, not as the ultimate definer of your life, but to know that in being in service with Christ, as we'll see in a minute, there, there is a sweetness of savoring his suffering for us that brings us to the point where we are not ashamed of our weakness, that, that we are not those who live with the spirit of entitlement, that, that even in something as redefining as a corona virus, we can join Paul and say, we will not despise our weakness. No, we want to know this Father who comforts us deeply. We want to know the Father who multiplies his mercies that run to us, that they might run through us. In fact, that's the second thing we find in this story. Truly in the school of affliction, here's some goodness. We get to know God as we have so described a merciful comfort in God. But secondly, our sense of community is strengthened and our capacity to love is expanded. Next part of the text, verse 4. So that we, Paul writes, here's the effect of being in a story, a season, a life of affliction, which really means, by the way, the Greek word for affliction means just stress, pressure, pressed down. It's not punishment. It's an honesty about what, what it feels like to do life in this moment. Paul does not reach for an exclamation uh, or an explanation of why he's suffering. He says it's under this end. Look at this. So that the Father comforts us so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort we ourselves are comforted with by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Do you see the beauty of what Paul's saying here? That the stewardship of an affliction, rather than complaining about it or simply resenting it, it, it deepens our relationship with God, and it deepens our capacity to love our neighbors. Ken's already mentioned several creative ways we're learning now in social distancing to be good neighbors. I, I, I pray that God will use this very real affliction, and we may just be on the front end of what's going to get far more complex, far more affliction-like. I pray God will use it to deepen our knowledge of Him, but also to be good neighbors, to comfort one another. And this is a remarkable picture. The Father comforts us. He brings mercy to us, and, and, and those become the reservoir. Those become the collateral. Those become the capital that we have to, to, to be 
a people of weakness, sharing with one another. Look for creative ways today and in these coming weeks, precisely because we are in this affliction, to know our Father and to love your neighbor. Thirdly, third aspect, a third great experience that we can learn in the school of affliction, we pose and pretend less and are more vulnerable and present with others. Verse 8, and I love this. Paul writes, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For Listen to this. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Do you see what a gift Paul gives us in these words? Once again, he's being, he's being cajoled. He's being charged with being a false apostle precisely because he suffers. Paul is saying, oh, this is good. In fact, let me let you know how bad it really was. Let me let you know how overwhelmed I was. Throughout 2 Corinthians, we see that gift, the gift of vulnerability, the gift of, of looking at a friend and neighbor as a leader to those who are even new in Christ or even considering the gospel, Paul is saying, I want you to understand, I'm not going to make vain promises. I'm, I'm going to, I want you to know me as someone that needs God's grace and mercy as much as you do. Oh, it's truly a beautiful thing when we learn the way of vulnerability, when we are posing and pretending less. That has marked the culture of Christ's community since our inception. May it go deeper. May we be those who offer our boasting and weakness that we might boast in Christ. Takes us to the fourth or fifth affirmations before we pray. What else does Paul show us in terms of the outworking of being learners in this school of affliction. Don't, don't waste this suffering. Don't waste this season, however long it might be. What, what can we learn? Uh, the heart of our God. We can learn about loving well in the midst of circumstances we have no control over. We can learn to bear each other's burdens, leading with our own vulnerability. Fourthly, we learn to trust less in ourselves and more in the God of resurrection. Paul writes, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. The, again, the direct context was we were overwhelmed. We were feeling within our hearts soon we would die. He writes once again, not reaching for a justification from God for why he was afflicted, but saying, no, here's the end. It's unto this end that this affliction has come to us, that we might not rely upon ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Uh, what a profound theological statement. How does, Paul God, how does Paul know God raises the dead? Because of Jesus. God has raised Jesus from the dead. Paul knows that God is a God of resurrection. But he also knows in this context that one of the most deceptive things in life is self-reliance. I wonder if you felt like what I felt. Want to be vulnerable for a moment? When I began to watch each morning that green color on the Dow Jones get redder and redder and redder, oh my goodness, my brothers and sisters, I have realized in these last two or three weeks, even like what Scott said earlier, there's so many things I look to rely upon for all kinds of things that basically marginalize the sufficiency of Jesus himself. Now, we're not going to minimize the reality of, of some of us now are in economic situations that we did not anticipate. But you see, the calling, Paul says, is this. There's something about the goodness of being pressed down together. 
that we can begin to identify where we have put our wrong trust, where these idols of the heart now are in a position to be put in their proper perspective. How might God in these coming weeks free us as a congregation from self-reliance under greater reliance upon the God who raises the dead? Well, this brings us to the last affirmation before I pray. And this is so central to this whole story. It's central to everything, affliction or no affliction, windfall or downfall. Uh, the last thing we want to say is this. In the school of affliction, we can learn that the sufferings of Jesus and Jesus himself are more precious than anything and everything. We don't just learn the Father's decrees, but we enjoy his delight. In fact, let me say this loud and clear. If you hear nothing else that I would say this morning, this image of a God who decrees things, plans things, executes, does not try to do anything. The most central decree in the entire Bible is that all who put their faith in Jesus will be forgiven of all of their sins will be robed in the righteousness of the perfect Lamb of God who lived in our place and died in our place, who was raised for us, who was ascended to the right hand of the Father. Our Father has decreed all who trust in this Savior are immediately adopted into his family, becoming beloved sons and daughters of the living God, this God of comfort, this God of multiplied mercies. As soon as we trust in him by the good working of God in our hearts. We are made citizens of heaven and heirs of life in the new heaven and new earth. This is why Paul truly writes in verse 5, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort. My brothers and sisters, don't waste this affliction. Let's not waste this season. We don't need cliche. We don't need to be Pollyanna. We're going to be called into ways of serving one another and our neighbors in ways that we did not imagine. Things have been canceled, spring breaks, vacations, that we might together be in this school of Christ's sufferings in this very season of Lent in which we are moving closer towards Easter week when we will survey the cross of Jesus, the quintessential sufferings that have exhausted the suffering that we deserve. My brothers and sisters, would you pray with me now with thanksgiving? It's such a good God, such a sovereign God. Father, thank you that you don't try to do anything, but you decree all things. And Father, we do thank you today for the psalmist who understood it is good. It is a good thing to learn the decrees of our God. It's a good thing even when that environment is one of suffering and convenience when it exposes how we trust in so many things beyond Jesus. Lord, teach us, lead us, even as we get ready to come to this table now, to feast upon the one who suffered for us that we would know his joy forever. Together we cry out, hallelujah, what a savior, hallelujah, what a salvation in Jesus' name. Amen.